What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Thoughts from the Bench with Dom and Jay. My name is Dominic Smith, and making his return on the other end is J.M. Lewis. J.M., what's going on, man? Not too much, of course. You know, locked inside my house. Actually went out to a high school stadium today, did some stadiums. Did, got a nice little workout in, but just trying to hold in my sanity. Are high schools open? I don't know. We like, hopped the fence. Things oh. Happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, that works too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I feel that I am doing, I bought this beach body workout thing. And so it's a part of this insanity series. So I'm trying to get my sexy for the summer, even though that's not going to happen. Um, but I've done, it's one workout a day for 60 days and I'm, I'm barely functioning. I cannot move. <laughs> it works out wakes. It's cardio. It's abs. It's insane. But yeah, just trying to keep the sanity too. I haven't actually watched a TV show in weeks. Like I've watched, there's this thing um, that I have on my television subscription where you can listen to music. And so literally I've been listening to music all day. There's like wow. nothing on. Honestly, there's nothing on. Yeah, outside I mean, you of gotta music get into and... some Netflix or Hulu show. I've been watching Ozark. It's one of my favorite shows out. Finished uh, Mexican Narcos. Uh, there's some good shows out there. You just got to dig for them. I'm not – I have Hulu. I'm not too big on Netflix. Interesting. Yeah, I, I had ne- – every single day, so I have to have Netflix. Oh, well, I mean, The Office is on TV every single day. Yeah, but it's not on Netflix. Netflix is way better than TV. Well, only because you can watch it over and over yeah. and over again. What is the best Office show? What is your favorite? Episode? Yeah. Oh, it's got to be Stanley's heart attack episode when they um, go through everything, the funniest two minutes of all time um, when they're practicing, um, giving everybody, I don't know why, I want to forget what it's called right now. I almost called it CTE. Obviously, I don't want to give everybody C- CPR. CTE, everybody CP- CPR, 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 yeah. Episode. It's the greatest episode probably in television history, but every time I watch The Office, I laugh at something different. It's my favorite show of all time by far. The fact that they were trying to find out what caused him stress, and then it was Michael, yeah. was probably the greatest yeah, they, thing they ever. The episode really tied I think the, together pretty well. I think it was the proposal with uh, Michael and Holly. Oh wow, you're an emotional guy. Wow. Yeah, gotta dig deep with him because that's the easiest one because everything. See, the common answer is the dinner party. Ooh, no way, um, that one's awkward. And way just, too awkward of an episode. Cringy. Honestly, some. Someone did a poll and they said the dinner party was Oof, the best episode. That's gross. Terrible choice. Yeah, I don't. I was not a fan of Jan, but um, it's funny. My mom's actually in the living room watching The Office <laughs> right now. So, um, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the safest one. Holly Flag is the real MVP. Um, I actually thought about wearing my office sweatshirt today around the house. Um, and there's actually some cool weather outside. It's not quite sweatshirt weather, but for what we're going to get until November, might as well make the most of it. But since there are no sports, that does not mean we will not talk sports. So we have some highly controversial topics that we plan on speaking of tonight. Um, if you're an Ohio State fan or you're an FSU fan, you're going to want to hear this first one. So. In 2013, I don't know if you actually if you saw it, but they played the uh, rerun on TV, and I watched it. That 2013 Florida State team with Jameis Winston as your quarterback. Uh, I forget who the running backs were. It was Devonta Freeman. Was it James Wilder? I got the whole roster coming for you later, and, so uh, I'll hit you with it. Okay. Um, yeah, local legends like Kenny Shaw. And, you know, guys like Rashad Green, Kermit Whitfield, Nick O'Leary, the defense was just loaded. But that was, and I forgot some of the names on defense, so you'll have to remind me there. But that 2013 Florida State team who had a crazy run under Jimbo Fisher ended up going out to Pasadena and was getting it taken to them in the first, in the first part of the game. And eventually came back for a great win. Kelvin Benjamin with the game-winning catch. Um, that team was legendary. So the topic tonight is if they played the 
champion the next year, my Ohio State Buckeyes, who had the run of a lifetime that I wasn't expecting. Um, you know, with my man 12 Gage, Cardale Jones, Zeke Elliott, Michael Thomas, Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, that fantastic offensive line, that incredible defense led off by Joey Bosa, five-star Raquan McMillan. Um, the list goes on and on. If those teams met at the peak of their season, so the peak of Ohio State season, I would say, I would say was Alabama. Well, Alabama, Oregon, and then FSU when they um, defeated Auburn for the national championship. Who would win, win, why, and what would the score be? All right, so my, I had to ask Solid you a question strokes. first because you got to make a decision. Okay. Who's your quarterback? It would be... It would be 12 gauge. It would be Cardo Jones. It would Jones. be the three-hit three, the three hit one. And, and it would be... Yeah, but I'm saying prime Cardale Jones. Like, the Cardale Jones that we saw well, against Wisconsin, so, Alabama. Ever, yeah, like and for or, his entire but still, life, that, And then he went to the NFL, and I don't, he's not, I don't think he's in the NFL anymore. No, he's... No, he started the next year for the first half before he got benched. I'm talking the 2013 Florida State team. Everybody playing the way they were at the team's highest level versus the Ohio State team with everybody playing the way they were at his highest level. So that includes Cardell Jones playing at his highest level. Excuse me. I mean, first to, so, yeah, to quality I, I preference this. Well, technically – well, well, Tom, 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 let me ask this. When you say who's the quarterback, is that out of Braxton, JT, and Cardell? Yeah. Okay, it's, I'm, I'm going 12 right. age. But go ahead. Preference this. These are both our – well, it's my school and it's your fandom, obviously. No hate there. Just, yeah. Sure, my school. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. my school. Um, I was there. It was one of the best nights of school. me and who regularly appears on our podcast now, Stephen Klein's Life. We watched it together at our house. Um, and then went absolutely nuts. I actually shot fireworks inside my neighbor's apartment from our outside of our apartment. Um, Johnny's Big Banger, shout out to the old firework tent. Um, we had a huge party in the middle of the apartment complex, and then everybody went out. Um, I was in Tallahassee, obviously not Pasadena, but that Florida State team, we went to those games. We watched the demolishing of Clemson, which was really the highlight of that season. Um, yeah. outside of winning the national championship and how we came back. And, I mean, the game against Auburn was tough. It, it, you know, if you just watched that game, we were good, but you wouldn't think we were as good as we were all season. Um, Ohio State, I went back and looked at the schedule, and, I mean, you guys had a really good team. It's not like we're arguing one team's way better than the other. I'm taking Florida State just because of what they did. The biggest difference with Ohio State is that they had the playoff the first year, and obviously we embarrassed ourselves that playoff. Um, but Florida State is the most points ever scored per game, and they also had the largest gap ever, which was 39.5 points per game. Every single game that season, they were going to probably beat your team by 39.5 points. Obviously, it's college football. You play a lot of scrubs. but they. Whoa, 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 wait. Beat Ohio State by 39 no, and a half no, points? No, no, no. This was how they finished the oh, year. Their final say. tally was okay, go ahead. that I'm they sorry. averaged every single game put in. They averaged beating their opponent by 39 and a half points, scoring 51.6 points per game and allowing 12 points per game. They absolutely demolished every single ranked opponent that they played um, until obviously they stepped in the national championship game. Our two biggest rivals are Clemson and Miami. That's really who we played that was ranked besides a Maryland and Duke team who were in the 20s. Um, and we beat Clemson 51-14 at Clemson, um, then took Miami. And they played us in Tallahassee, beat them 41-14. That team had a roster, and it's a really famous tweet and picture that goes around. You can take a picture of the offense at one point and a picture of the defense at one point, and every single player from that team in the next two to three years was on an NFL team. Obviously, the Heisman winning quarterback. You've got Devontae Freeman, who's um, a great player in the NFL. Um, you've got Kelvin Benjamin, who ended up just being a fat you know, guy in the NFL. But um, the interior was incredible, where the Florida State's been bad ever since. <laughs> Um, but their offensive and defensive lines with Jernigan and then P.J. Williams on the outside. Like, these are guys, you hear their names now, and they're NFL players, and it's not like they're all superstars in the NFL, but all of these guys being on the same field in college playing against Maryland, um, pretty offensive uh, how good that team was and how ridiculously 
nobody was ever a competition. We jumped on Clemson 21 nothing. It was the most exciting first quarter of football I've ever watched. Um, they were just so good everywhere. And Ohio State has a lot of NFL players all the time. But in terms of all the guys that were playing, being as good as they were, Ohio State, if you take that team's roster, they have a ton of NFL players. But just that year, they don't even compare to all the NFL guys that were on the field for Florida State. And I mean, that's Florida State team's one of the five teams, probably best teams of all time. Um, I mean, LSU this year might have jumped there, but they're for sure going to take Ohio State out and probably beat them, I, I would say, 31 to 20. Do you real so how many do you do you know the statistic because I have mine for Ohio State how many draft picks were on that 2013 the roster team? doesn't matter as much to me um, because there's Ohio State Be- and Florida State both have incoming freshmen that end up as NFL players which is cool but at the same time like we're counting the guys that were on the field in these games Florida State had an entire okay. offensive and defensive roster that made it to the NFL Ohio State had a large number from so their t- team. So 22 guys, all 22 guys made yeah, it to not, the NFL? Yeah, I mean, obviously you're rotating players a lot, but there is an offensive and defensive lineup from that team where all 22 players made it to the NFL. But the same is literally for Ohio State. From that draft the next year, from the draft the next year, see that 2015 Ohio State team that wet the bed against Michigan State um, because we had the worst offensive coordinator known to man, known as Ed Warner and Tim Beck, who is now at the University of Texas, and you see how great that offense is. Hook them. But we had, if I'm not mistaken, 12 guys taken four in the first round. So from a talent point of view, listen, and and guys, and to your point, you know, we had guys, you know, undrafted free agents, you know, stuff like that. So I think talent-wise, I, I would say I would give a slight edge to Florida State. I would give a slight edge to Florida State. Now, 31 to 20. So is it a 31 to 20 that is close or a 31 to 20 where Florida State is comfortable? That is a close 31 to 20 with us maybe getting a late touchdown at the end of the game, maybe even defensively by either Jalen Ramsey, LaMarcus Joyner, Terrence Brooks, Ronald Darby, Timmy Jernigan, Mario Edwards Jr., P.J. Williams, Christian Jones. I mean, listen to that defense. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's that a great defense. unbelievable. Even in today's NFL, that'd be a solid defense. It is a great defense, but guess what? It is also a defense that gave up 232 yards on the ground to Auburn in the national championship game. Now, let me talk about that Ohio State team for a second. First of all, everything that you said about Florida State, except the score, I agree with. They had that was a fun Florida State team to watch. If I'm not mistaken, that score that I watched that Clemson game, and I think the score was seven to fifty-five. What no, was that 40, the final score? Fourteen to fifty-five. Was the final score. We were up twenty-one nothing in the first eight minutes. I was thinking something else, but still. To go, that game was at Clemson, too. So that was impressive. The first time I saw Jameis Winston, because you have to realize something. And I think you can agree with me on this. Florida State had a, when you watched their quarterbacks, it was like, okay, they do good to start off, and then they play big-time competition, and they fade. Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel, and then you get Jameis Winston, who just continued? I saw him play versus Pittsburgh, lit Started up that defense, and he of continued. Or Sixteen of sixteen in that game, just ridiculous. Seventeen of seventeen, yeah, and he just continued to get better and better and better and better. Um, one could easily say it was a product of the town around him, especially if you saw the next year. But Jameis Winston was elite. Ohio State, if this was. The thing about Ohio State, this was not your father's Ohio State. This was not the Jim Trestle, I-formation, big offensive line that just mauled people off the ball, but when they went against athletes, just got destroyed. That team that team convinced me against Michigan State, because Michigan State had a really good team. They were the number 
eight team in the country and they had athletes and they had a great recruiting class and they went to Michigan State with JT Barrett and put up 40 something points on them. Um, and I think for me, the crazy thing about it is we talk about Ezekiel Elliott and that crazy stretch he had. Ezekiel Elliott, the beginning of that season was a non-factor. It, I hate to say it, like he had some good moments. He had a couple good games, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure he got suspended for a game because Curtis Samuel, who's now in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers, um, the, who was a freshman from Brooklyn, was the starting running back. We had Rod Smith before he got kicked off the team for whatever reason. Um, he was playing running back. It wasn't – okay, we're not going to even get into that. but Because uh, it's not like your coach, Jimbo Fisher – Listen, listen, and let's not pretend like Jimbo ran a clean program either with Dalvin Cook and Jameis Winston of the many transgressions we could bring up, but I digress. But uh, he got, he got kicked off the team. season, we were clean. And... <laughs> sure. But anyway, um, it was just weird because that team, remember, that team got whooped by Virginia Tech. And so, no, I didn't expect them to do what they did, but they kind of, they progressed, they developed. And so what you saw was a team of these blue-collar offensive linemen who had athleticism and who had a mean streak that just mauled people off the ball. JT Barrett was just, him getting hurt was devastating um, because he could throw the ball, he could run the ball. But with Cardell Jones, it gave us a different dimension. Um, because you saw to see the talent of the receivers. Devin Smith ran a 4-3. He could run with anybody. He could run past anybody. We had a very athletic receiving core. Our tight ends were able to stretch the field, and I think that style of offense gave people problems because, listen, we went down to New Orleans. Was it New? Yeah, we went down to the Mercedes-Benz Dome against Alabama, who had just these freakish athletes on the field, Talk about, you know, draft picks, Landon Collins, Eddie Jackson, uh, Trey DePriest, even though I don't think he did much. Um, Jaron Reed, who's now with the Seahawks. Um, Dante Highsmith. Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, Amari Cooper, that was Amari Cooper's team. And we took it to him on offense and defense. The one thing I will say is this. I do feel... I think Ohio State beats Alabama because we beat them. And if you really watch the game, specifically whenever Ohio State was really dominating that game and they got in their own way with turnovers, then Derrick Henry and uh, TJ Yeldon kind of took over. I, I will say this. I think the game would have been a little closer if Alabama had a quarterback playing quarterback instead of Nothing's a running back playing quarterback. Going through some Alabama rosters, this is one of them throughout the years. Look, just start with the defense and then the Blake Sims. Look at all the names on here and how unbelievable. I mean, this is TJ Yeldon, Derek Henry. I mean, Amari Cooper's on this team. OJ Howard's not really playing, but started coming up on this team a little bit. Then you got the defense with he was yeah, on that all team, these yeah. guys Eddie Jackson, Landon Collins, Jonathan Allen, Ruben Foster. I mean, Nick Perry, all these guys. And then you go quarterbacked by Blake Sims. And Jake Coker. Blake Sims. And Jake. Well, Jake Coker came on the next year. But it just is crazy. How And Jake Coker, former Florida State quarterback behind Jameis. I was like, how did he lose to Blake Sims? So it, it was weird. But like you said, that talent on that Alabama team. That Alabama team had enough talent to, to win to a national championship. They were big. Legend, they were, J.K. Scott. Go ahead. The punter. They always have amazing punters. Sorry, I had to appreciate he, that. He gave me, he gave yeah, me anxiety that game because he, he, I mean, we started, Ohio State's average field position, I think, was at the five. It was like, like the five or the eight or something like that. He was just, I'm like, they should let him play. They should let him be the kicker because um, Alabama still doesn't have a kicker. So it, it's, when they went down to New Orleans, they had the speed, the athleticism. They were more physical. And then to go and do it against Oregon, who, listen, people want to say, okay, they were missing a couple guys, which is fair. I watched that FSU game, and I always kind of thought, 
just with the way they played that it would catch up with FSU. FSU that year, I think you can agree with this. They were the more talented team. Like if you look from top to bottom, you know, granted that Oregon team was good. They had DeForest Buckner, they had Armstead, obviously the Heisman Trophy winner in Mariota, uh, Royce Freeman, um, you know, has some receivers. But I do think from top to bottom, they had a, a great offensive tackle and a uh, Kyle Long and a center, you know, who was you know elite as well. But they FSU was the more talented team, but Oregon that tempo, that tempo, 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 tempo. And Ohio State matched it with physicality. And so when I look at the structure of the Ohio State team against the FSU team, I look at what Auburn was able to what Auburn was able to do to FSU. Would you let me ask you this? Would you take Ezekiel Elliott or Trey Mason? I mean, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott. But So I you're going so a better I'm never as we've been here thousands of times in sports these days that it, I mean Ezekiel Elliott's probably not going to get 300 yards, you know, like he's probably going to get a very similar statistic. He's not going to run significant. You know, no, no, no. I don't yeah. think he's yeah. I don't think he runs for 500 yards against FSU. I think he runs for about 220. I think maybe the same against Alabama, maybe a few yards because, like you said, that FSU defense was elite. But I think what gives me what here's what is the well I'm stuttering. Here's the advantage I think FSU, and this is why I would take Cardell Jones. FSU wouldn't have had as much film on Cardell Jones as they would JT Barrett or Braxton Miller, because Cardell has the best arm out of all of them. And Cardell was a different runner. Cardell ran like Cam Newton. Because if you remember, Cardell ran over Landon Collins twice. Cardell ran over a defensive tackle from Oregon twice. So he could get us those yards. But Cardell had an arm. There's a reason they called him 12 gauge. He could make every throw. And I think, and the throws that he made ain't you know, were precise, they were elite, they were what we needed to beat Alabama and beat Oregon. And I think if you're going to go against that talented FSU team, you need somebody that can sling it. You need somebody that can put it on the dot, somebody that can take chances. And somebody that just had, you know, he could just let a bad play go. It wouldn't dwell. You needed a guy like Cardale Jones, especially before people kind of figured him out and before the coaching staff ruined him. The next year. So I would take Ohio State 35-38. So for one, before we just we go off on Cardell Jones and everything, let's first do remember, I, I, we've come a long way from how freaking good Jameis Winston was in 2013, but he had one of the best seasons of all time by any college quarterback ever. Um, he threw for 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, 10 interceptions with 184 passing efficiency rating. And still, even though next year they weren't quite as good, was still amazing besides he just threw interceptions all day like he does in the NFL now. Um, and the other thing, it, it, it's I love that our hypothetical football game situation, we still don't have film on Cardale Jones. I'm a big fan of that still being a part of the argument, even though it's a hypothetical situation. Yeah. A great play by you. It's hard to argue because we don't know what's going on. Um, but Exactly. I mean, the thing about the Florida State team from 2013 is it really is one of the greatest football teams ever, and Ohio State's just not. That's the biggest difference. I mean, they have a loss that blemishes. Obviously, they got way better, um, but they did lose, and um, when you look down those other teams that were in there, and the Florida State-Oregon game, I, I can't go back and watch it too much, but I encourage anyone to go back and watch that playoff game that year. It it wasn't like they just got dominated in every aspect of the game. The craziest things were happening. They had wild turnovers. The Jameis fumble out of the back of his hand. Um, they had passes bounce off. Like it was just one of those games where you're just sitting there like, if it can go wrong, it will. And I mean, they lost by a lot. There's no excuses there. They made it there and they were looked down upon basically all year because of the sneaky wins they had. But um, I would still stick with Florida state. I mean, they're just talent wise, one of the greatest teams to ever be on a college football field. The, and just to wrap this up, you cannot say, fine, Ohio State had one of the worst losses, but they had the best win of the season. You beat, you are a Big Ten school with the perception 
that you cannot compete with the Southern schools. You can't run with them. You're not as physical as them. And you go to a pro Alabama crowd and atmosphere with the talent that they had, especially on defense and even on offense, because here's the thing. What made Blake Sims successful is he just threw the ball up and Amari Cooper can go get it. And Ohio State pretty much shut him down. You go down there with the team that we had and beat Alabama, you cannot say, because listen, talent-wise, I think Alabama could have been a better matchup. That 2014 Alabama team could have been a better matchup for Florida State. So I I don't think you could really say from a talent standpoint. I think... So much more goes into it. Schematically, I think Ohio State's offense would give Florida State problems because Auburn's did. And I think Auburn, sorry, Ohio State had a quarterback that you didn't, you never heard of. The only thing you knew about Cardell Jones was that he tweeted that they shouldn't go to school because he came to play football and he could throw the ball. So I don't think you can make that argument, but I mean, this debate's going to end the way we thought it would you're gonna pick for the state i'm picking ohio state but as always I'm i right. will say before we go completely so, on this is just one quick thing god bless how lucky and he's still a great player but ezekiel elliott has been behind the best offensive line in his sport for six straight years i mean he's still a really good player but holy cow the blessings that man has gotten as an offensive line his entire career well, he, from from ohio state on to Especially now yeah. in the NFL, Travis Frederick is—he retired, and they're still going to have one of the best offensive yeah. lines in the National yeah. Football League. So, one thing that Zeke has in common with all of these other people that—well, not all these other people—but with the topic next, as a professional athlete, he has not won a championship. So, I saw this on your Twitter account. So I want to know who are two of the best athletes that you think have played, regardless of the sport, who've never never won a championship. Number one um, for me, and there's a large group. I put this in that tweet I had, but there's a large group of athletes who want to claim that you know if Michael Jordan wasn't around, they would have championships. Um, you know, when you take the best players of out, course, just like yeah. you would take the Warriors out. There'd be other guys that were up there. Um, so, but one of those main guys, I think the biggest part of this is too, you had to go in, how good was that player? Um, they had to be a very, very, very large superstar player. And then they also had to be close and lose in situations, whether it was to one of the greatest players of all time or the greatest teams of all time, or just crazy things happened. One of those guys that's easy for me is I've been a fan of him my entire life since I was little as John Stockton. Um, he also played with another guy, Carl Malone, who are both two really great players from their era who were denied two straight championships by, of course, Michael Jordan. Um, you could put both of them together in one. John Stockton's got a better overall statistical resume in terms of value over replacement. We might even get to him later. Um, and then my second person, of course, my guy, Philip Rivers. Um, oh, my gosh. Is, Phil Rivers is gonna wait. Phil Rivers is gonna get a championship. I would year. love that. I'm all in. I'm a Colts fan with you. I'm a, I'm a Colts fan. I, I'm speaking it. I'm sorry, you're a Colts fan as well. I forgot. Um, he's gonna get a championship this year. Um, so he's had great teams. Yeah. He's had great seasons. Um, he lost to the Patriots, the Colts, the Colts, the Patriots, the Colts. Um, he lost to Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Um, he lost to the Patriots yet again. Um, when you go back and look at you know, where they've lost, where they've fallen short. Their greatest chance ever, um, if you go back and read everything about him, was their 20, 2007 season. Um, but he ended up actually tearing his ACL at the beginning of the game against the Patriots and still tried to finish the game. Um, and he's just been there so many times. So that was my two biggest factors. Obviously, I love Phillip Rivers. I love John Stockton personally. I felt a lot of pain for – I wasn't really there for much of John Stockton's, but Phillip Rivers and how good – Phillip Rivers to me is one of the most underappreciated NFL quarterbacks of this generation. Um, you know, obviously there's a huge argument of him or Eli because Eli's gotten his Super Bowls, but Phillip Rivers has been way better than him his entire career. He just doesn't have the two incredible seasons that Eli had with great defenses. Um, and he's lost to the Patriots and the Steelers and the Colts and the Patriots and the Steelers and the Broncos. And he's lost to Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady, who have all the Super Bowls from the AFC. 
So those were my first two. You could go back further in time and fight this, but those were ones more recent. I had some golfers in there um, who have been really affected by basically the Tiger Woods era um, who would have a couple majors like Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood. The other ones, Chris DeMarco would actually have two majors. If it wasn't for Tiger, he lost to him in a British Open and obviously the really famous chip-in Masters at Augusta. Also, side note, uh, the Masters was supposed to begin this yeah, week. Yeah, don't remind me. And, but Tiger Woods is still the reigning champion. So that's something that we can be thankful for. So I'm actually, and I'll get to it at the end. There was a name that I really thought you would mention. Um, I should tell you now, I thought you were going to say CP3. Yeah, I, I am. I, but um, the, the problem with CP3 is going back at their teams, and they've, I mean, they've lost to the Warriors basically every single time they've been good in any scenario, whether he was on the Clippers or Rockets. Um, so he's there. The problem is he just, you know, he didn't ever get really close enough to make it. Like, to John Stockton has lost in, you know, the NBA Finals multiple times. Um, and Phillip Rivers never really okay. made a Super Bowl, but he, I count losing to the Patriots in the AFC playoffs, losing in the Super Bowl because they just win it every time. So there you go. Chris Paul's in okay. that group so, in terms of career achievements. Okay. So the two that I would say, um, first one is Barry Sanders. I know, you know, that's, I understand, you know, kind of what you're basing everything off of, but Barry Sanders joined the Lions 1989, got drafted in 1989, wins the rookie of the year. In his 10 seasons in Detroit, and I would have to say that was kind of the more odd careers just based on things I've read and how he left. But think about it. In Detroit, in his 10 seasons, over 1,500 rushing yards um, a season, um, just under 100 yards. I think it's in the upper 90s per game. Um, in 1997, he was the third player to rush for 2,000 yards, was the MVP, um, and honestly at the time was 1500 less than 1500 yards from breaking um the nfl rushing record back then um he retired kind of abruptly back in i want to say it was 98 yeah, 98 after yeah it was 98 season. um and so it's i don't know i just think for when you talk about elite running backs at least you know his name doesn't come up enough and just to see the things that he did for detroit in that franchise i mean he ran for 2053 yards in 97 you know before retirement um i want to see he averaged six yards 6.1 yards um per carry with 11 touchdowns uh, only fumbled yeah, I don't actually. I don't have the fumbles here. I thought I did, but still, he had such a great career, um, and it was kind of a shame. It was weird how it ended because you really thought with the way he ran and just things I've read and and you know, you know seen, he probably had another five years left, and he probably would have obliterated the rushing record, but he shut it down. And so I think for somebody that caliber, um, he he uh, he should have won. And I was going to, my next one, I was going to say Patrick Ewing. Um, but I actually, it just came to me, I, and I have to go with my gut, and I don't have the statistics in front of me, and for sake of time, I'm not going to look them up because it just came to me. Came to me. Larry Fitzgerald deserves a championship. He was so close. I don't know if you remember that uh, Arizona – Pittsburgh. Uh, who did they play? James Harrison, pick six. Pittsburgh. James Harrison, pick six. But before that, Larry Fitzgerald streaked up the middle with that long touchdown. For somebody who has just been the model of consistency in the NFL, I mean, he's like 80 years old, and he's still making big-time plays. He's making big-time blocks. He plays the game the right way, and he's such a fun player to watch. And I love him because he got me big points on my fantasy <laughs> team a few years ago. So... And and it's crazy. He he's at his age. He for until this until a month ago, he was the best receiver 
Can you can you name a better receiver on Arizona's roster before Hopkins came oh, than Larry no Fitzgerald? Way. He's definitely the best receiver. No. He at his old age and old being old in NFL years, he was the best receiver. Now you pair him with DeAndre Hopkins, um, which you know we've talked about it multiple times. I still don't understand that because that's something that I never would have thought. But you can compa- you combine those two. Um, I don't think he's going to get a championship. I don't think Kyler Murray or Cliff Kingsbury is there to the answer. But uh, I think Larry Fitzgerald, man, he's he's one that I really wish he could get a chip. And I think he's one of the best athletes to never win one. And obviously, you know, you could go down the line. You know, I just said Patrick Ewing. Obviously, when you think about people who haven't won a championship, you think Charles Barkley um, being one of the best. Reggie Miller. So many teams that. I mean, he completely ripped off. Yeah. And then, honestly, it's crazy. You think of people who've never won a championship and you just name those people. And then you think of guys like Robert Ory, who has seven championships and he didn't have... Obviously, you know, he hit some big shots, but I'm pretty sure if you had to start a team, team you're not starting it around Robert Ory, yeah. you know, compared to Charles Barkley or Reggie Miller or Patrick Ewing. So it's crazy. And I don't think... And I just this is a side note... One of the most disrespected athletes. Last week I said LeBron James, and I'm sticking by that. But Bill Russell. Bill Russell. Nah, don't give me that. I know he played before yeah, our who cares? time. Yeah, oh, he played against nobody. People he got like his you. respect in his time. He doesn't need any more respect. The athletes now, and the, how good these guys are. You go back and watch 1980s basketball, which I've done a lot of in the last week and a half. And even the 90s, I mean, the way that players are now, it's incomparable. And sure, he was great in his time. That's awesome. But whew, congrats, Bill Russell. Listen, Bill Russell, just like Bill Russell, just like Shaq, just like some of these other players, would easily average 20 and 10 in today's NBA. Just saying. He's good, and people need to put some respect on his name. But speaking of respect, and speaking of building an NBA team, I was just watching some old NBA basketball, and I was curious, and this is what we'll end the night on. If you had to build, and I'm hoping you don't take my answer because I'm not ready for it, but if you if you had to, even though I'm, I, actually I think I know who you're going to say, if you had to, to build a team around a point guard in the prime of their career, a point guard in the prime of their career, who are you building it around? So I looked up, I'm an NBA guy, so I know most basketball basketball point guards and I know who I want to pick for a lot of this stuff um and I did some I did all the research I could I wanted to make sure that I picked it for the right reasons one because obviously I love Chris Paul a lot of these the good thing is I'm a point guard guy so a lot of these players are all my favorite players um and who comes up here whether it's Steve Nash Nash Jason Kidd um John Stockton Chris Paul Isaiah Thomas and then you obviously go back to your era that you want to give all your props to like Jerry West Oscar Robinson listed as a point guard. Shout out to Jay Russ. Um, and then, Oscar. That's so the dog. biggest thing that you have to consider, I think, is the question we always ask about basketball is what generation are they playing in? Um, where are they playing? Where does it fit? Because basically the worst part about all of it is if you take Steph Curry and you t- put him in the 80s, he probably scores 100 points a game. I mean, it's just probably a fact. The guy... If you go back and watch that, the spacing and the, the spacing and the, this is why you have to go back and watch old NBA. Steph Curry, if you dropped him into the 1980s, people would think he was an alien. They wouldn't understand what he was able to do from the distance he's able to do it. The entire Magic Johnson never did anything besides stand 10 feet from the basket and run around in circles. That's what their entire offense was. And obviously, he's one of the greatest point guards ever. But the style of play and what these guys can do is incredible in today's game compared to what it was. The second thing I looked up was one of my favorite stats for basketball that helps me defend all of my arguments basically with anybody is the value over the average replacement player for the careers, which stat is obviously led by our guy, LeBron James. He defeats Michael Jordan by an unbelievable margin for how much better he is versus somebody else being on his team. For the teams he was on matters also because LeBron's been on a lot of crap teams and Michael really wasn't besides the beginning of his career. Third on that list, though, John Stockton, one of the greatest point guards of all time, one of the most fun highlights to watch. 
an unbelievable player, hit a game winner to send his team into the NBA Finals, had gone head-to-head, obviously had Carl Malone as well with one of probably the best duo that I enjoy watching because of the way they played inside out, and that's one of the most fun teams. Um, I actually watched those NBA Finals yesterday, Utah and Chicago, but at the end of the day, when I factored all of these things in together, I ended up with Chris Paul. I would want Chris Paul to be my point guard because not only does he work in this year, in this generation, have we watched him be one of the best players, especially point guards, for the last 15 years, but you could drop him basically anywhere, anytime in the NBA, and his game would really fit because he's a little bit more physical. He can play inside the three-point line, but he's still a really, really good three-point shooter. He's a great passer, and he's somebody that can take over, play iso ball, um, which is... I think something that when I compare Steph and Chris, there's just a level of team play that Steph Curry's gotten to exist inside of for the prime of his career that you don't get to see a lot. Um, And it's helped his efficiency so much, and he's so good. Um, But John Stockton, if you were to drop him into today's game, would be very awkward. He'd be like Rajon Rondo, basically, because he wasn't a good three-point shooter. He actually only attempted 2,200 threes in his entire career and shot 38%, and that got significantly better throughout his career. He had some seasons of 42%, um, but he just, if you were to bring him into today's game, Chris Paul would be more athletic than him. He'd be quicker. He'd be able to make the exact same decisions. He's just as good of a passer. He's one of the highest IQ guys in basketball. I'm taking Chris Paul if it's any generation. If Steph Curry played in the 80s, Steph Curry, so let's put it this way. If Steph Curry got drafted in 1980 by the Golden State, Steph Curry would be out of the NBA See, by 1983. This is why people have to go back and watch old NBA games because they weren't that physical. They called the same style of fouls that they call now besides hand-checking, and they would they don't guard the three-point line. You want to go watch Magic Johnson play the guys wide open until he's at the free-throw line. The spacing is unbelievable. It's almost a hilarious to watch how slow and how tight they all are. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Steph Curry, if he was drafted in 1989 or 88, he would be out of the NBA this, in 1990. Because this, this I guarantee you, Steph Curry could not, not stand – he could not People stand the physicality go- of just like the bad boy. The bad boy yeah, Pistons, Bill yeah, yeah, yeah. Beer would take him and drop him on his neck. You've watched your 30 for 30s, and you've watched the highlights, and we've heard I did not stories, watch 30 for 30s. But when 30. you go back and watch games, full games, it they take the hardest hits. And sure, they didn't maybe call as many flagrants. They didn't throw guys out. There were some fights. But the basketball game itself, in terms of calling fouls, it's not that much different. They didn't like let everything go, and there was blood everywhere. And like I get it. Steph's had some hard times in the finals. But in terms of a regular season player and star point guard and the way he can shoot people just the space he'd be wide open every time he walked down the court the guy would be a 70 percent free throw shooter and then somebody have to come out and guard him like it's he would dominate any the guys in this generation would dominate in any generation if they were shooting 35 or 40 percent from three we'll agree to disagree i i understand what you're saying i mean I don't know if he would be an alien. I still think Larry Bird would be more of an alien. It's still more of an alien because of what he was able to do with his size and stature and with spacing. So you don't think Reggie Miller was one that, you know, practiced spacing when he stepped yeah, on the court? Bit. I, you watch some of those. Like, when you say like Larry Bird and Reggie Miller, and then you go look up how many threes they took in a season and compare it to Steph Curry. It's not even close, like the way that they played. He was still way closer. He was a great shooter, and he was a great three-point shooter, but he wasn't taking anywhere near as many threes, the difficulty of threes, and as far away from the basket as Steph Curry is. So do you think that they would run the same offense that Golden State runs back then? The same offense? I I don't really think that. The same style – the I same think, style I think of Steph offense. Curry would be would score just that, 27, 30 points a game in his prime on any offense. I think he's with two, so many good players. So by that, that lot, he doesn't even get to play as good as he really could be. So by that logic, you're saying Steph is the greatest I, of all time. I think, in terms of building a team around a point guard, I'd still want Chris Paul because he's a a better passer. He's a significantly by a absolute landslide better defender than both John Stockton and Steph Curry. 
okay, we'll get to this argument because we're, we're running out of time. But by that logic, it sounds like, because you're saying you're unstoppable. So by that logic, he, he's the GOAT. But anyway, I've thought about this. This one was hard. And I knew you were going to pick Chris Paul. And to be honest with you, that's not a bad answer at all. Um, I thought about some names that I think are valuable point guards that we don't talk about much, like Chauncey Billups. Um, and just how his style played, how he was able to make the Pistons, you know, just good. And, you know, obviously, if you remember that 2014 with Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, uh, Ben Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, and just kind of how that gelled, um, he was a great fit for them. Um, think about guys like Allen Iverson um, and just his shiftiness and all that stuff and, you know, kind of maybe what he was able to do if he had some pieces around him. But I think the guy that I'm going to give you surprise you. And obviously I thought about like, you know, Steve Nash um, and even a guy like Tony Parker um, just for the value that he brought to the Spurs. But the guy that I'm choosing might surprise you. I'm taking, if I had to build a team around a point guard, I'm taking and this is hoping, and this is all. This is some assumption that he would stay healthy. But I'm taking Derrick Rose. I'm taking prime Derrick Rose, 2000 and what was it, 2011 Derrick Rose, when he averaged 25 points a game, 7.7 assists on, I think he was what 37 minutes or something like that. Um, I'm taking that version of Derrick Rose because he was just a, he was just unbelievable. Um, he shot the highest percentage from three. Well, the second highest percentage, the highest percentage. Actually, I take that back. The third highest percentage um, from three that year. Um, he shot 34 percent in 14, and last year in Minnesota he shot 37 percent. But he was a playmaker. And his athletic ability, you couldn't guard him. He was freakishly athletic, and I think he made that Bulls team around him better. Obviously, you know, they couldn't get to the next level, but I really do think and see the best of Derrick Rose. I always thought that he could be better than what he was or just be consistently that dude. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I think if we got the best of Derrick Rose, he could easily – have been the best point guard we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean. So my I guess some assumption is he would stay healthy. But I would definitely build it around Derrick Rose, at least prime Derrick Rose. And I know it's a, it's a weird answer. I said it might surprise you, but go ahead. I'll, I'll hear your rebuttal. Honestly, I mean, I saw this was going around on Twitter about a week ago that people were coming with this Derrick Rose over Chris Paul thing. And, I mean, if you're going to take one season of his career – and be like, if he was that forever, then, you know, I would roll with Chris Paul. Because he played the next year, and he was only averaging 22 points per game and eight assists, which Chris Paul's basically done his entire career for 16 years. Um, so I, I think the the memory of this one season, which was a great story, he was the most exciting player in basketball really to watch besides LeBron James. I'm always – everything in basketball conversations besides LeBron James for me. But incredible season. That's awesome. Great. He had one year of 25 and seven assists. He was the MVP. He had a great run. Um, awesome. Like, I get it. He's somebody that we all love to love. But, I mean, there's been a lot of guys who, even those numbers, 25 and seven, are not, like, crazy out of this world. In fact, here, I'll just look up Steph Curry's just to go ahead and say how insane this is that he's even considered – up there, I get it. He was really athletic, but I mean, Derrick Rose is not in that conversation. He's in the conversation for one of the most exciting storyline seasons of all time. Wait, wait, wait. Steph had more talent around him than Derrick Steph Rose did. Steph has a seasons of 24 and 8, 24 and 8, 30 and 7, 24 and 8, 25 and 7, and 26 and 6. I mean, oh man. You, you Derrick Rose. I'm not hating. I like, I like Derrick Rose. I pick him as the greatest point guard of all time when there's blatantly obvious so many. I, uh, well, Westbrook okay, puts well, up better numbers. 
Nobody's picked him. Okay, but Westbrook, Westbrook takes more shots. You, you cannot compare Derrick Rose and Westbrook. But I would say this. I'm not saying Derrick Rose is the point guard of all time. I'm saying just based on potential, who would I pick kind of in their prime? I would pick Derrick Rose because I think his upside is greater. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Listen, I have – you would say I've been disrespectful to Chris Paul because for my reasons, I have my, my reasons. Chris Paul – Charles Barkley calls him the greatest leader in sports. I don't know about all that. But Chris Paul is an elite-level point guard, and he's been doing it for a long time. And you saw what he did you know, so far in the season with when OKC. He's elevated their game. I'm not. There's no disrespect at all for Chris Paul. But I'm saying if I can – and listen, Chris Paul was, to be honest with you, he was number two on my list, and I knew you would take him. But just from his talent and being able to raise everyone's level and to be coached by someone other than Tom Thibodeau, yeah, I would take Derrick Rose. <laughs> uh, Listen, Tom Thibodeau ran everybody into the They loved ground. him, though. That team loved him. So, I don't know why, but, you know, you just see Jimmy Butler's flourishing, you know, without Tibbs and stuff like that. Give, if you put Derrick Rose with a better coach... I think this is a whole nother story. But on that note, we have to go. It's been a fun episode, JM. It was great to have you back. Um, be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Thoughts from the Bench with Donna J. Thank you for listening in. Want to shout out to everybody on the front line of this virus, the nurses, doctors, essential workers. God bless you. Stay safe. And we will see you next week.